0: If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew, chapter 24, and we'll look at verse 32. We left off at verse 31 last week, and I'll read the entirety of this chapter down to verse 51. It says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near." at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take, take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day, a particular day, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so, will, so also will the, Son, the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore for you do not know what the what the hour what is the hour of your Lord is coming, but know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour and you, you do not know, do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise, a wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find um, so doing. Now surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master's delay is coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at the end of an of the hour that he is not aware of it, and will cut him into, and cut him into, and appoint us portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know how that sounds, but that don't end well. If it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, I'm sure that's not. and That never is any in a good sense. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. No one knows the hour, you know? You know, if you read chapter 24 of Matthew, most all of chapter 23, 24, 25, if you read those chapters, this is all the Lord speaking. That's why I was probably stumbling through this. I guess the devil don't like the Lord speaking. But this is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord Jesus doing the talking here. God's only dear son. This, this is the one, he says, who, who then is a faithful and wise servant? You know, he, he's the one that's doing the speaking here, and when you read this, if you get a million commentaries they all kind of say something a little bit different in different variations, and different views, too. You know, the preterists have one view, you know, the reform guys, uh, you know, the charismatic guys uh, have another view, the spiritualize, spiritualize the scriptures. There, there's another group that's so conservative that they miss the other part some are literal some are non-literal but when you read this you have to read this careful and you have to read this in light of Christ looking outside of time Christ is not subjected to time so in one verse, he could talk about the tribulation. And in the next verse, he could talk about the rapture. And in the next verse, he could talk about his kingdom. Himself. I mean, he can do that because he's outside of time. So when he's speaking, he's not, he's not relegated to just the way we see time. He's not relegated like that. Because back in verse 30, he said this. It says, then the, sign, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, like in Zechariah, you know, twelve ten. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says, you know, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. They, but here Matthew says they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, Jesus is speaking, of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is talking about the second coming there. He's the moment when we come back with him. That's the second coming. People get mixed up the words coming, you know, at his coming. It could mean at his coming, second coming, but it also could mean that when he comes and raptures us out of the church. So coming doesn't necessarily mean that he comes, you know, back and set up his kingdom here on earth. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But here in this particular verse, he's talking about the second coming of Christ in verse 30. And then he says, and he will send his angels... With a great sound of a trumpet, God loves using trumpets. He used it for the rapture. He'll use it in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, 1 Thessalonians um, 4, 16. And now he's talking about a trumpet. And they will gather. It's epi in the Greek. He says to gather, that's to gather, to bring together, you know, his elect, together his elect, the ek, you know, you know, from eklekomai, out of, eklektos is the word here. He's saying bring together, he'll gather his, gather, you know, he'll gather his elect together from the four winds and, and from one end of heaven to the other, which is interesting here, is this. When he says he'll gather his elect, immediately people think of the church. Here he's not talking about the church. At the second coming, he's not gathering the church because we'll be coming back with them. We've already been raptured. And so that's what a lot of people get confused. They get confused when you read this. He says, he will gather his elect. These are those who survived the tribulation period. These are those, look, they'll see him coming, and they'll be like, oh, no, Jesus is real. Because they're going to realize, you know, you know, 2,500 and, you know, and, you know, 60 days and so forth. You know, first half, the second half of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 19, Christ comes back with the church. That's us. So here when he's talking about this gathering those from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, this is not speaking of the church at all, because we'll come back with them. Is that clear? All right, so y'all got that part. And now he goes into this parable about the fig tree. Trees are mentioned all through the Bible, you know, the mulberry tree, you know, Luke talks about other trees where most gospels don't write about. Mulberry tree, remember in Luke 19, Zacchaeus, the sycamore tree. But Matthew talks about, he mentions fig tree about five times in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's always related to some kind of fruit or lack thereof. He says, now learn this parable, not of, but from. He says, learn this parable from The fig tree, 43 times fig tree is mentioned in the Bible. And as an interesting, it seems to be a picture of Israel here. One commentary writer described the fig tree as it represents Israel from the time that the nation rejects Christ to the time when Israel as a nation accepts Christ. So he says, you know, learn from the fig tree. This is the example. This is the imagery. I'm using the fig tree. When its branch, it doesn't say branches, this is when its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, not fruit, it doesn't say fruit, leaves, you know that the summer is near. Israel temple would be destroyed in um, 70 AD. The, you know, the entire city would be leveled when you get to 135. AD, when the Jews were evicted from the land at the time of Bar Kokhba, you know, his, with his rebellion, they got evicted from the land completely. The Jews are the only people in human history, in human history, to be displaced from their land, moved from their land, scattered abroad, and come back to their land. There is no other nation in the entire world that has ever, and they still have their own language, Hebrew. No other nation in the world has been scattered throughout the world and came back to their own land because the land is synonymous with the people in the mind of God. He gave them that land. He divided that land way back in the book of Joshua. That real estate over there belongs to God, and these are the people that he chose to be in that particular region as we look today in the world. There's so much trouble. As a cup of trembling, Jerusalem is. But it's the epicenter of the world. Jerusalem. You know, the rebirth of Israel was imminent because God said so, not because man said so. You know, they said, oh, "Well, they're going to divide the land. It's the Gaza Strip and this and that. You know, Palestine. It's no such thing as Palestine. Palestia, it was what the Romans told the Jews when they overtook the city. They, that was like calling them Philistines. almost like a mockery. No such thing as no Palestine. And he says that, you know, the rebirth of Israel would be imminent. Because God, remember when God asked Ezekiel that question, O son of man, can these dry bones live? In Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 3. And Israel, that was Ezekiel prophesying that they would become a nation. He was in Babylonian captivity when he prophesied those things. When he heard these things from God. They wasn't in their land then. Because the Babylonians destroyed, leveled them. So these are the only people in the entire world in history that ever left their land and came back to the land and lived there today. You go over to Israel, it's a beautiful place to go. It's a beautiful place to visit. And it says, so you also, speaking to the, the disciples, when you see all these things, so he's speaking in the future, because because not all the disciples would live to see all these things. Peter didn't live. Peter didn't even live long enough to see the temple destroyed. He was crucified in, some say, AD 66, 86 and 7. He was James, the brother of, you know, John, one of the Zebedees. He was beheaded, you know, with the sword in AD 44. And so they didn't even live to see the temple destroyed. So it's no in the world he's just talking distinctly to them. He says, so you also, when you see us too all these things, know that it is near at the door. As he says, oh, surely I say to you, this generation, key word. Because you know what everybody tells everybody? A generation is 40 years. Well, it could be 40 years, but that's not necessarily true. A generation doesn't necessarily have to be 40 words. This word here is genea. We get genealogy from this word. It's speaking of a race of people. This word means a race of people. Specifically, he's talking about the Jews. He says, surely I say to you, this race of people he's talking about. A generation. A generation can be a hundred years. You know, remember when Abraham, when God told Abraham, you'll come back in this land in the fourth generation. Fourth generation, Abraham was, he was 175 when he died. Isaac was 180. Jacob was 147. They didn't get in that land then. Joseph lived to be 110. Moses would enter, you know, would take them to to the Red Sea. He didn't even enter the land. He was 120 when he died. So we know a generation is not specifically 40 years. We know that. Joseph died, and you know, when Joseph died, it says in Exodus, when he died, it tells us that in all of his brothers and all that generation, it was more than 40 years. Most people say, generation is 40 years. No, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. So the meaning of this word means a race of people. This, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. You know any Babylonians? Absolutely not. You know any uh, Assyrians? Absolutely. You know any Amorites? Absolutely not. You know any Jews? Of course we know some Jews. I've got a a few friends and I love them. He's talking specifically to the Jews. The church age is near the end and is almost run this course. When we get raptured, that's the end of the church age. Did you know that? God will deal with Israel even after the church is taken out of here. He'll still be dealing with Israel. These guys that have displaced theology, and it says that, oh, you know, you read their commentaries when they get to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, they don't need, they, it's like a parenthesis there. They just take that out and say, no, the church has replaced Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. God will still be working on the nation of Israel, even when the church is raptured out of here. And Jesus points to the word of God. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by will, will by no means pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. So he's speaking to the Jews here. And then he switches subjects here. And look what he says. But of that day, some particular day, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But, he gives us an an example or a comparison, you know, some comparison because he says, but as... The days of Noah were, so also with the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days before, notice he says before, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah. His interest entered the ark. You know, they were in there having a good old time. Remember in Genesis chapter 6, you read that chapter to blow your mind because the world is in interesting. Look, it says, When God saw that wickedness of man was so great on the earth, we think it was like in a city. He says, The, earth, or the whole earth. Do y'all see wickedness in the whole earth today? And that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil. He says, continually man was evil, continually, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, and so before the flood, you know, evil continually, even today that we live, in, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, one verse I love is Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun, it's a wicked world now, the world has gone so wicked, it's lost its natural mind. Nothing is new. Nothing changed in the hearts of men. They still are deceitful and above all desperately wicked. We live in a wicked, a wicked world. And this is as in the days of the flood, there were evil, wickedness of men it was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, this is only evil continually. Imagine that. Only evil continually. Nowhere in the world that's talking about now. No, no. Yeah, you want to bet. (laughs) That day, the days before the flood, notice they were eating and drinking, having a good old time. They were drinking, and he's not talking about drinking Kool-Aid, I'm sure. Marrying and giving in marriage until, notice, the day. This is one particular day, as Jesus said in verse 36. But that day, and no one knows the hour, but it was the same time, the same kind of scenario when the flood happened. No one knows the hour because they were having a good time. Drinking and partying. <laughs> Noah building the ark. And they looking up, you fool, It never rained here before. What are you You're building an ark for? It. You must be out of your natural. Look at the old man, Noah and his three sons and his wives, they all work. <laughs> they're crazy. Y'all sure crazy coming to church. <laughs> you guys got to be, why would y'all all come here this morning on a Sunday morning? This is crazy. Why would you even come? You know, people say, these people, they're nuts. <laughs> the Bible thumpers always, the Bible this, the Bible that. <laughs> get out. I'm going to the cabaret. Oh, they still have cabarets. I'm going to the club. I'm going to get my drink on and my drugs on and I'm going to do all that stuff. I'm going to be merry and have fun and just live my life. Yeah. Life is about having fun. Life is about amusement. A not, muse, not to think, not to think, not think about the problems. Life is about amusement. Life is all about just having a good old big, big ball. That's what they thought in the days of Noah until the day, it says, that Noah, Noah names means rest, that Noah entered the ark. You know, they realized the day of God's judgment when it happened, but they were ignorant or they ignored all the signals and the signs, so they were without excuse. There was nothing redeemable, so God had to judge the world. When there's nothing redeemable, God judges. And he's always shown mercy before judgment. He's always shown mercy before judgment. God will always show mercy before judgment. He's always doing that. In Genesis chapter 7, you don't have to read this. I'm going to read this. It says, so those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God has commanded him, meaning Noah, and the Lord shut them in. In other words, the Lord closed the door of the ark so that Noah couldn't come out and yet no one could enter in. You know, the world who did not believe in God and the God of Noah was shut out. And when they were shut out, you know what came with being shut out? They were judged by a righteous, holy God. That's what happened to the world. You know, Hebrews tells us that by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. That was Noah. Jesus says in the next verse regarding the people of Noah's day, and did not know, verse 39, until the flood came and took them all away. They didn't know. You know, some scholars estimate that it was about 700 million people during the time of Noah. But if you read, like, Henry Morris and um, AIG, you know, Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham and all those guys, they say that it was over a billion people. They said that it was over a, a billion people. Now, you calculate this, and if you're a statistic person and you're a mathematical or arithmetic person, think about eight people being saved and the rest all die through God's judgment. You think about that. Just do the calculation. You know, he says that so also will the you know the coming of the son of man be the son of man, mentioned 84 times in the in the gospels. And here he has the authority and the right to rule and to judge, as it says in Ezekiel 21, 27. Here's God. It says, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Those who are living in the world who heard the truth, we know they heard the truth. Some say no, I preached for hundred years. It doesn't specifically say that, but we do know that God at least 120 years in Genesis 6, 3, that 100 years, he almost gave them 120 years to get there to repent, I'm sure. But they failed to respond to truth. A world that fails to respond to truth, what do you think happened to them? Judged by God. Rejected. They were rejected and judged by a living God. You know, Second Peter says, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher. He's called Noah a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So everyone who were, who were judged and drowned in the flood during the days of Noah, think about this because we probably don't think this way. Everybody that drowned during that time when God judged the world, they were ungodly. 8 people out of a billion people let's say if it was a billion they were all ungodly people and it happens suddenly and unexpectedly you know just like it happens when the rapture takes place we're going to be snatched out and then judgment comes people are being warned day by day but they really don't care you tell people you know come on, come to church with me come on that's that's good for you oh i get my own religion I got my own life, come on, don't rush me. You know, some girls will get married, they get saved in the marriage, and the husband, ah, what you trying to rush me with this religious stuff and all this, and you can't, no, 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 no. There will be a day when the world will be judged. They're going to be drinking and eating and marrying and giving in marriage, and they will be judged. And if the rapture happened today, we got a major problem, y'all. That's why I always say go and tell people about Jesus Christ. The world's population, you know, in the Christian world, they say, and this is only calculations. I don't know if this is an exact number, but you read the numbers. I read numbers all the time. It says that there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world. Maybe, may not. But just suppose there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world. Just suppose the world's population is 8 billion people. This year, the nation of India will surpass China in population and be a billion-plus. This is about the year 2023. India will be the most populated country in the entire world. So think about this. If you take India and China, that's about 2 billion people. Just say if those two nations, that population, all got raptured. Do you know there's 6 billion people left here? It'll be six billion people left there that will be judged by God. The numbers are staggering. It still will be at least six billion people. Could you imagine six billion people going through the tribulation period? And I really doubt if it's two billion Christians. I doubt that. It depends on what they call Christian. Maybe it's a a billion, one. But could you imagine how many people will be left behind to be judged by God during the tribulation period? I'm estimating at least 7 billion people will be here. You know, about 7 billion people. That don't know the Lord. Islam is growing. So there's going to be billions of people, they don't believe in the Lord. They say, Allah forbid that he would beget a son. They don't believe in the Son of Christ. The J-Dubs, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. The Mormons, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. The Buddhists, you just add up all these people who are religious people that will be left behind. You think about that. And I don't know if you don't think it's an urgency to share the gospel. It's an urgency to tell people about Christ. There's a compelling, you know, we have a compelling case to tell people about Jesus Christ. Whether they accept them or not, we should tell them. We should tell them. And now Jesus goes back to talking about the rapture, which is undated, a secret event that will happen without warning in human history. The whole world will be stunned. Could you imagine trying to explain the rapture to see somebody, you know? You could just imagine, you know, a pilot or a Christians get taken out of air and the planes going down, you know. It's a shame. I hope the co-pilot and the captain are not Christians, you know, and the people that work the aviation back in the system, you know, and then they gone, everybody gone. Fly the plane, kabloom. Trains, conductors are Christians, bus drivers, policemen, paramedics, on their way to pick up somebody just had a heart attack or something, gone. The truck, the car crashes. It's going to be carnage. It's going to be a mess. And Jesus says, then two men will be in the field. He's talking about the rapture here. One will be taken as para, the word is para lambano in the Greek. It means taken, aggressively taken, to take by showing, you know, strong personal initiative to take with oneself, to join to oneself and associate a companion. One will be taken to Christ and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, you do not know what hour. Notice what hour the Lord is coming. So you know he's talking about the rapture because if you go through the tribulation period, the minute the church gets raptured, the timetable starts. You can almost calculate when the Lord is coming back. But if it says you do not know the time or the hour, this is talking about the rapture. But know this, that is, the master of the house had come. What hour, you know, if the, master of the, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. They didn't have alarm systems there, you know. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming. It says he's coming. The Son of Man is coming. He's called the Son of Man. And during the kingdom age, two times in Revelation is mentioned Son of Man. But during the kingdom millennium, he's not going to be called the Son of Man. He's going to be called. And Jesus only called himself the Son of Man. Nobody ever called him the Son of Man. He's going to be called the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Word. He's going to be the, you know, He's going to be in his glorified body. And it says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming, not down. When it says he's coming, he's not speaking about he's coming down in the sense of setting up his kingdom on earth. That's the second coming, which ushers in the millennium. We know that. But he's coming in the air. That's what it means. He's coming in the air, and we don't know when that's going to happen. But be ready. If you're a believer, don't live your life so loosely that you think it's your life. You on a time, we on a time clock too. If the Lord came and snatched us out of it, what would he catch you doing? In some club singing, that's the way I like it or something? I don't know. Look, Paul, when he wrote the church in Thessalonica, he says, look, those in Berea were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica because they studied the scriptures for themselves to determine whether or not these things were true. Those in Thessalonica, people would tell them, oh, the rapture already happened, quit your job, and they were all idled and all this stuff. Paul says, no, 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 the rapture ain't happened. He said, in fact, let me give this church, he stayed three Sabbaths there, three weeks or so. He gave them the best eschatology in any other book, any other church in the Bible, in the New Testament. And Paul tells them, he said, let me tell you something. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep For the Lord himself will descend, not come and set up his kingdom, he will descend from heaven with a shout, that's the rapture, with the voice of an archangel, there's only one archangel, that's Michael the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, those who die before us. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, is the word harpazo, to be snatched out by force. Together with them, those believers who went before us, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We'll meet him in the air. And thus we shall always be with him. And that's why Jesus, at an hour you do not expect, one day the rapture will happen. Phew, you taken out of here. Speak to flesh and blood, one we'll inherit the kingdom of God. I wonder if there's a bunch of blood and bones and all that stuff. And we just changed all of our clothes. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, scientists can't even count a twinkle. It's faster than a second. And that's where our lives should be these lives. Every day, you know, people say, oh man, that guy's sold out for the Lord. We should all be sold out for the Lord. Amen? We should all love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and serve him Said, Lord, no, my life is about the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. Wish your time? The Lord, well, what you do for fun? Jesus. <laughs> well, that's it? Yeah. But well, how do you have fun? What do you do for fun? What, what does that have to do with life? We live in a world where they want everybody to have fun. Life is all about fun. Look, serving Jesus is just as much fun as that I ever had in my life. Well, you don't know. Look, I gotta do something to entertain myself. (laughs) Really? No, I don't. I don't have time for fun. Jesus is my fun. Jesus is my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, you don't know, man. Look, man. Look, I got. I want. Look, I gotta find something to do. We. If you gotta find something to do, I guarantee you, it's something wrong. It is so much to do constantly in regards to people and serving God. And it don't have to be in a church building. You can just go on a corner and give out water ice and say, Jesus is good. You can do that every day and it'll wear you down. You can, do, you can just serve the Lord. You can say, look, this is my life, Lord. Here I am. You know what we do? We take our life back. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. We said, why would I want to deny myself? Treat yourself, the world says. You treat yourself. You've been working hard. You treat yourself. You deserve that. I don't deserve anything, but I got it anyway. It was God's grace. And, and through that, I can walk in liberty to serve Him. And here Jesus says, at an hour you do not expect. And the disciples were like, What is in the world is he talking about? And then he gives us this. Story of the faithful and the evil servant. It says, Who then is a faithful, notice, and wise servant, whom his master may ruler over his household to give them food in due season? In other words, are you busy about serving the Lord, or are you too busy serving yourself? If you ask yourself in the morning, you wake up, Who am I going to serve today? Who do you serve most? Do you spend more of your time serving Jesus, or do you spend more of your time serving yourself? Or you believe your own press clippings? Look how great I've become. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said, too, and he started eating his own feathers. Who do you serve most? He says, my servants, they serve me. My sheep know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. They serve me. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant? This is the one that God can entrust with the things of God. Whom his master may rule over his household. To give them food and due season. He says, blessed. It's the same word in the Beatitudes. Macarius. Or, Macarius. Or some say Macarius. Macarius. is the same word that means happy. Is that. Look, that particular servant whom his master, when he comes, will find doing so. What will Jesus find you doing when he comes back? In the gym, working out. One, two, three got to get these carbs and, oh boy, you know, you know lift it. That's not saying nothing wrong with the gym. But will he find you doing that? What will we find you doing? What will he find you doing? Will it be on the street? I hope he find me somewhere on the corner, you know, somewhere street witnessing, telling somebody about Jesus. That's what I hope I'll be doing. I'll be behind a pulpit sharing the word of God. Or oh, somewhere sharing the word of God. It doesn't even have to be a pulpit. Is a pulpit everywhere you go. If you want to preach the word, you preach the word everywhere you go. Some people need a special form to express their, you know, theology or ecclesiastical, you know, terminologies or whatever people think they are. I don't know. But he says, Blesses that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find doing so. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler. Over all his goods, this wise and faithful servant will gain his reward at the beamer seat of Christ. And will be made a ruler during the millennium kingdom. He will gain his reward. You know, you think about one day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer seat. That's where we get our rewards. You ever seen the Olympics? And you know how they start it and they, and they close it out and they have that uh, award ceremony? And you have the person that get the bronze, the person that get the silver, and the person that get the gold, you know. The person that get the gold, they smile a little bit different. The bronze person like this. The silver person like, the gold person like, you know. And we'll stand before his, you know, the beamer seat. The Bible says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Literally, I believe Jesus is going to wipe every single tear from our eyes. We'll be so happy to see him. We'll be so happy to see him. He's not going to wipe our ears away, tears away because we're going to be crying and say, oh, Lord, I should have did this, I should have done that. No, I don't believe that. But I do believe that we're going to be so glad to see him. But I want to see him and have something to throw back at his feet. I want to have some crowns. You could, the Bible mentions about five of them. I want all of them. Well, I don't know if I want the martyr's crown, but at least four of them out of the five. God got to pick that one for me. I wouldn't choose that one. And now he addresses those who are left behind. Look, he says, but if that evil servant says in his heart, and my master is delaying his coming, this servant is not a true servant at all. Here the word evil here is kekos is in the Greek. It's from a word, kakaya, and it means inner malice. That's what it means. So that word evil is not a good word at all. It means inwardly foul or rotten, poison. And it's speaking of inner malice flowing out of a morally rotten character. And they right in the church like that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And got rotten character. You see them alone, they're looking at porn. they doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then they, when they come in the crowd, oh, the Lord is good, brother. Praise the Lord. He says, this one, this evil servant says in his heart, my master's Elaine is coming. God ain't coming back and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards. This evil servant is a man with a malicious and rotten heart and nature. You know, he's a usurper and an imposter. He's not a real believer. He has no conviction about the coming of the Lord. If you don't have a conviction about Jesus coming at any moment, you don't have conviction. You need somebody to get caught in sin or something, they said, man, I'm so convicted. Conviction is a word that means to, you change after you're convicted, not just you acknowledge that it's conviction. It's like Achan said, yeah, I've sinned, and he didn't, it was, he didn't repent. You can be convicted but not convinced that you need to repent. Or you can be convicted and convinced that you need to repent, and you get back in fellowship with the Lord. Some people are convicted and they refuse to repent. That shows you how hard a man's heart could be, or a woman. Yeah, I'm convicted, laying in with the man every week or laying with the girl. I'm convicted, but you're not willing to change. And when you're not willing to change, you're not really convicted. And if somebody live in flat-out habitual sin, you know that means? They're not a believer. Don't call yourself a believer and live in habitual sin. You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. You want to go to church? Well, wow. I sing on the worship team. Whip-de-doo. I went on a mission trip to Madagascar. Wow. I got pictures too. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes a person a Christian is that the Holy Spirit lives in them. I said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed with the spirit of promise. You have a conviction that's beyond just conviction. You say, I got to get back right with God. You don't live in habitual sin and say you're a Christian because if you are, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's what the Bible says. If you say that you have no sin, you do not tell the truth and you make him a liar. But you're a liar and the truth is not in you. There's people all around, so I'm convicted. And he has this servant has no conviction about the coming of the Lord. He, he wickedly abuses his authority. He misuses and mistreats those who are under him or around him for gain. And he, he finds his fellowship with drunkards and worthless people. So maybe he could look good in light of those he around. And it says that the master of that servant will come on a day... When he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of it, so this wicked servant will be taken completely by surprise. In spite of him pretending to know the Lord, he's never been saved. And, speaking of this evil servant, you know he hasn't been saved because look what happens. We'll be cut. The servant will cut him in two and appoint him or his portion with the hypocrites, those who don't know Christ. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You think that sounds good? Uh, it's the place where the worm never dies. I never totally meant know what that meant. I looked everywhere to try to find what it meant. I don't need to know what it meant, because it ain't going to happen to me. The place where the worm never dies, hell. I'm not going there. Isn't it interesting? How we can live our lives and we can say, you know, I don't care about the rapture. I care about the rapture. I wonder. I'm always thinking, Lord, if you come back today, what would you find me doing? How do you spend your time? You know, y'all you know, go Eagles, the Eagles. <laughs> You're trusting the Eagles if you want to. It was quiet in this town last week, you know. I was like, praise the Lord. Not because of the Eagles. I was saying, if you made an idol out of the eagles, as opposed to Jesus Christ, I'm telling you the eagles, the beagles, the bingles, the seagulls, whatever they are, they will let you down. Jesus will never, ever let you down. He's always the winning team. Is he the winning team, amen? He's the winning team, not the eagles. They'll be back next year, maybe, I don't know. But let's stand up as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your grace, Lord, that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, one day we'll be snatched out of here. We just want to be ready. We want our lives to be right. We don't want to go, Lord, with unfinished business. We don't want to leave any stones unturned, Lord. It's so easy to leave stones unturned. It's so easy to look at these things in light of all the things we do and say, Lord, You'll come back one day. No, I'm getting ready now. I'm thinking you may come any moment. We could get raptured out of here any second. Lord, so we shouldn't major in the minors. Lord, we should learn forgiveness. We should learn grace. We should learn mercy. And We should learn, Lord, how to live a life that pleases you, Lord. Not a life that pleases ourselves, but a life that pleases you. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are here today, Lord, that we live our lives, Lord, above reproach that we let our lights so shine before men that they could see our good deeds. And Lord, and at the end of the day, you get all the glory out of our lives, Lord. We don't want any glory, Lord. We don't need any glory. We want you to be lifted up on a pedestal and be honored, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We bring nothing to the table. The table's already been set. But let us work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and making our own calling and election sure, Lord, that we would love you we would serve you, and that we would love your people, Lord. So we honor you, we praise you, in the name of Jesus, amen.